Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I'm going to be your host for today's episode. On the show today, we're going to talk about transmissions. Um, I've had a few case studies here and there on transmissions, uh, but um, today is going to be pretty much solely focused on diagnostics related transmissions. Now, here's the deal. I'm not a transmission guy. That's not my area of expertise. Um, in fact, I've only ever rebuilt from start to finish one transmission, and that was in tech school, and it was a General Motors uh, 3T40, <laughs> three-speed uh, transaxle, one solenoid for the torque converter, and those things were like from the 80s, and obviously a little outdated even at the time I went through tech school, but I mean, it was good to learn uh, the internal workings uh, of the transmission to see you know, how the planetary gear sets work and the clutch packs and the valve body and torque converter and all that stuff. Um, just to have a general understanding of how they work. Of course, they made us, um, they made us memorize every single component and the power flow through the transmission in each gear, which, okay, if I'm building those transmissions every day for my job or something similar, I could see where that'd be beneficial. Uh, but like I said, I never went out and actually rebuild transmissions. It's just not the line of work that I took. I did general repair. And of course I would, you know, diagnose transmission issues from here and there. A lot of the times, you know, my job as a tech was just determining, is it an internal or external factor that's causing the issue? And if it is internal, is it something that I can repair? Okay. So obviously when I'm talking external, a lot of times, and you'll find this is the case today with the case studies I have, we're talking about electrical inputs or outputs that have to do with circuitry sensors and control modules, right? That's where I get called in most nowadays is if the transmission shop can't determine whether the problem is internal or external. Um, that's my job is to tell them, you know, where it is and what it is, and then they're going to do the repair from there. And I, I did some of that in the field as well. Um, you know, I remember a Ford F-150 that would drop into neutral um, once you hit a specific gear. And after doing some research, I think it was Identifix back then that led us to even having the confidence of going for this, but you'd pull the valve body and one of the snap rings for an accumulator, um, the end of the snap ring would break off and it would fall into a specific spot in the valve body and jam a valve, which would cause the transmission to go into neutral. Anyways, you know, pull the valve body down, replace the snap ring, put it all back together. That's something I felt comfortable doing, even, you know, not being a transmission technician. I felt comfortable doing it. And a lot of techs in shops will do this, right? Um, another one, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. This is actually one of my first transmission diagnosis that I ever made. I was brand new first shop that I was working in. I think I was actually still going to tech school, but it was a leak that I had to find on this Ford Explorer. It was leaking transmission fluid 
all over the place. Like the whole underside of the car was wet with tranny fluid. I was like, okay, well, this should be fairly easy to find, right? Even for a new guy like me, doesn't really know much. It should be easy to find this. So, you know, I put it up and there's just so much transmission fluid everywhere. And I'm looking at places like the pan and the lines and the torque converter seal. And it doesn't really seem to be coming from one specific spot or nothing I can identify. So kind of degrease it. And I start the engine up and I run it on the hoist. I'm like, well, I should see this fluid coming out. It must be pressurized if it's leaking all over the place. And of course, nothing. I put it into gear and, you know, reverse and drive and I let the wheels move on the hoist. Still nothing. It's dry as a bone. And I have it up on the hoist running for a good half hour. I'm like, okay, this is weird. So we go out and drive it and come back and the whole underside of the car is now wet with transmission fluid. We're like what the heck? Um, you know, of course I don't, I don't know a whole lot at this point as far as what's going on, but I talked to some of the other techs there and they said, well, it must be something that only happens in a higher gear. Okay. That makes sense. Why it only started leaking when it was going down the road. So what we had to do was we had to drive this thing on the hoist. And I think it was third gear. If I remember correctly, this was a long time ago. But it was a higher gear, th third or fourth. And once it hit that gear, it activated one of the accumulators, which on this particular transmission had a aluminum cap on the side, on the passenger side of the transmission that was held in place with a snap ring. And there's a spring underneath it. And it gets filled with uh, pressurized fluid, but only on at a certain gear. Well, once this accumulator got filled with fluid, there was actually a crack in the aluminum cap and it would just spray fluid everywhere out the side of the transmission and of course underneath the vehicle. So the fix was pull the snap ring out, find this cap, which actually was available, which <laughs> I found pretty surprising. And we pop this cap in there and it's good to go. So that was it. Um, anyways, one of my first experiences diagnosing a transmission and you kind of have to understand a little bit of the inner workings in order to understand what's happening there. So anyways, where I'm going with this is I'm not a transmission guy, but I've got a little bit of understanding of how they work internally. But in the last few years, I've been doing this mobile programming and diagnostic thing. And I'll tell you what, if you are a mobile programmer or you're looking to get into mobile programming, take a look around where you live for transmission shops. I can tell you by far that the majority of my business comes from the local transmission shops. And there's quite a few of them. Maybe that's just something to do with where I live, but I service a number of transmission shops and I do a lot of work with them. Okay. General Motors trucks, the Chevy and GMC trucks with a six speed transmission. Those things are going out left and right. I mean, all the time I'm doing a ton of those. Um, also the, even the GM front wheel drive stuff goes out quite often as well. The other one that's really, really common is the Ford transmissions, and there's a number of them that require this all the way from 08 to brand new, where Ford is going to use a, a solenoid body ID and strategy code that need to be entered. And we'll talk a little bit about that in one of these case studies. So I'll give you some more details on that, but I get calls on that a ton. So I'm doing that. Uh, Nissan CVTs. Um, there's just a ton of that stuff around here. So anyways, um, along with the programming, I'm at these shops. And like I mentioned, a lot of the times, you know, maybe they'll make a repair, they'll replace a transmission, or they're considering replacing a transmission or rebuilding. And they're not quite sure 
where the problem exists. Is this a computerized problem? Because the transmission, just like everything else, is going to be um, controlled by a control module, whether that's a separate module or the powertrain control module. Maybe the module's inside. That's the case in the General Motors vehicles. Maybe it's external. Um, there's other sensors involved. There's a lot of circuitry. There's defaults. There's relearns. Um, quite a bit more that we used to have. We go back to, I mean, this going back a ways, but the early 2000s and the 90s, you know, the transmissions were fairly simple. We had a few solenoids and speed sensor and everything else was mechanical. And yes, there's still a lot of mechanical components, but there is a ton of electrical components that play a huge role here. And that's kind of what today is mainly based on is the case studies I've had recently that are going to cover um, electrical controls of automatic transmissions. And again, a lot of my um, time diagnosing these problems is just determining, is it electrical or computer related, or is it a mechanical hydraulic issue inside the transmission? And if that's the case, I'll let them handle it. They're, they are the experts on the um, hydraulic and mechanical functions. And I actually like having a few of these guys on my phone, because if I'm diagnosing a vehicle and I'm not quite sure on the hydraulic function of something, I'll call them up and be like, hey, uh, you know, this uh, this 4L60, how is the torque converter setup supposed to work? Because it's got two solenoids that operate it. That was a question I had for somebody recently. And the service info is, I don't know, vague at best, but he was able to talk me through it. And he's like, well, yeah, when we rebuild those, we get rid of the one side and all this. And it's good to have experts on your side. It's good to have uh, some people to network with. So I enjoy having that expertise, but my expertise here is going to be on the electrical side and diagnosing that. So again, that was kind of a long-winded intro, but I wanted to set you up for where we're going today. I've got four case studies for you. And the first two are fairly brief and more just informational than anything else. And then the second two are going to involve a little bit more diagnosis of problems. So those four vehicles we have is a 2012 Subaru Outback. Uh, we have a 2018 Ram Promaster City. We have a 2010 Hyundai Sonata and a 2013 Ford Fusion. So a little bit of everything here. But we will start off with our 2012 Subaru Outback that has a 3.6 liter flat six or H6, whatever you want to call it, with a five-speed automatic transmission. And I should mention all of these are automatic transmissions today. You don't see too many manuals anymore. They're out there, but it's not as common. Um, there was a CVT option for this year's Subaru. This one did not have it. So I just wanted to make a note of that. And by what I could tell in service information, the 3.6 liter uses the five speed only and the 2.5 liter four cylinder is the one that has the option for the CVT. I could be wrong on that, but either way, the transmission that I had in this particular vehicle was a five speed transmission. So the reason that they wanted me to look at this Subaru. And this actually wasn't a transmission shop. This is a used car lot and they do a lot of Subarus, but they had found on this particular vehicle that the light on the dash that said AT oil temp or automatic transmission oil temperature, but it's just abbreviated to AT oil temp. And it's a yellow light on the left side of the instrument cluster would blink consistently 
until the end of time. As long as you had the engine running, the key in the on position, this light would continue to blink. And they had scanned it for codes to see what's the problem here. And there were no codes anywhere in any of the powertrain modules. But so they wanted me to figure out what's going on with this thing. Uh, you know, they're not quite sure what's happening and they don't have much history on the vehicle because it's a used car lot and uh, they purchase it from somewhere. And uh, somewhere along the line, this light had come on. So um, I want to verify what's going on. Of course, I'll hook up to the vehicle and the of course, the light is flashing, and what they said was true. There was no codes in this vehicle in any of the powertrain modules. And in this case, it does break it down into engine control module and transmission control module, but neither of them had any codes. But that light is blinking away on the dash. So after doing a little bit of reading on this light and what it means when it blinks, there is some information out there. Of course, that's what we got to do, you know, when we're unfamiliar with something. I, I, I know I'd seen this light on a Subaru before, but I couldn't really think of what was done to fix it or what happened with it. But in the information that I found, when this light's blinking and there's no code set, it basically means that the automatic transmission learning mode has not been completed. All right. So this is a relearn of the transmission functions on this particular application. And if you go into the scan tool data PIDs for the transmission control module, you can actually find a data PID that says AT learning, and it says incomplete on this vehicle. If it says complete or done, I actually didn't look at it after I was finished with it. Um, but before this process has been completed, it will say incomplete and that AT oil template on the dash is going to blink until the end of time. And so what do we need to do? We need to perform this learning mode. And this is really what I want to talk about on this vehicle. It's nothing too special, but if you run into this, I want you to know what's capable of doing it and how exactly you go about this process. Of course, it's outlined in the service information and they give you some tips um, because this wasn't the easiest process to accomplish. Um, of course, one of the first things we want to do here is let's make sure that the transmission fluid is full at the proper level and clean. And it was, it was actually full in this one. So I didn't have to worry about that. And again, there weren't any other codes in here. And I can tell you if there are any other codes set in either the engine or the transmission computer, it will not allow you to complete this process. It'll boot you out right away. And so th this process is actually done through the special functions of the scan tool. Now, they outline in the service information that you use the Subaru Select Monitor, whatever their factory tool is. I don't have that. Um, I was able to complete this process with my launch Diagon, the Diagon 4. Um, I did read some stuff in Identifix that said people were able to perform this with either a Snap-on or an Autel, but I also saw some people... Uh, outlining that they couldn't perform it with the snap-on. So I don't have a snap-on, so I can't really speak to that, but I can tell you that the launch was able to perform this. But it didn't do it on the first, second, or third try. Actually, it took me four times to get through this. So I think the key here on this one is to be patient and make sure you follow the prompts exactly as the scan tool outlines them, or it'll boot you out of this process and you have to start over. But here's what you need to do. Again, make sure your fluid's full, make sure you don't have any codes in any other module, and then you're going to go into the special functions, select AT learning mode, and it will begin the process. Now, it's going to tell you in the scan tool, but you should be aware of this before you start, you need to have the vehicle lifted off the ground. You need to have the wheels 
off of the ground. Um, the other thing that you're going to have to have is the electronic parking brake, at least for this year. The electronic parking brake, which has motors to clamp the brakes on the rear wheels, that has to be functional. Those parking brakes have to work. Otherwise, uh, this process will not be able to complete. Uh, of course, the regular brakes are going to have to work too. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the brakes are working in, in it. Um, but once you get it off the ground and you begin this process, it has you apply the rear parking brakes. And then it is going to have you put the transmission in gear. And so the front wheels are actually going to be rotating. They're going to be moving here uh, during part of this process. So that's why you have the wheels off the ground and the rear wheels are going to be stopped with the electronic parking brake. And that's why this has to work. And if it sees that either of those things don't happen, uh, for instance, I tried it on the ground first and it didn't work because none of the wheels were moving. Um, or if the parking brake were to slip or not to apply all of the wheels would be moving, or at least three of them, and then it's going to fail as well. It needs to see that, um, and it's going to apply some clutches or do something in the transmission, and this thing will jump quite a bit, so have it a few inches off the ground when you do it. Um, actually surprised me quite a bit how much it jerked when it was doing this. Um, it also does some stuff with the all-wheel drive. It has you apply the brake pedal. You need to make sure that you're doing that. It has you shift gears, and it also says to wait until engine speed is stabilized. And I think that was where um, I created some problems for myself, is I wasn't patient enough to wait for the engine speed to stabilize. Um, but once you do, uh, just follow the prompts on the scan tool, moving it through the gears. It'll do its relearns, and it will complete. Again, I was able to do this with the launch diagon. As soon as I completed that, the light turned off the dash. We're good to go. All right? So you got a blinking AT oil temp light on a Subaru of this vintage 2012 and up um, and there's no codes in there check that data PID see if the AT learning mode needs to be completed so pretty simple pretty straightforward just want to make everybody aware of that all right the next one is a 2018 Ram ProMaster City. This is very similar to my Transit uh, Connect that I have, about the same size. This one's a little newer. I got a 2010 Transit. 2018, so fairly new vehicle. I hadn't worked on one of these that was this new. Um, but the shop called me in to check out the transmission because it had an extremely harsh shift into gear, so meaning into reverse or drive from park. And uh, let me tell you, they were not kidding about this. Now, I'll make a note here as I had to jumpstart this vehicle. And I think I skipped over this on the Subaru. I suspect this that Subaru, I'm going back here, I guess, a little bit. I suspect that Subaru on a used car lot probably had the battery die at one point or another as to why it forgot the learning mode for the transmission. That's just what I suspected. I can't prove that, but um, more than likely sitting on a used car lot, that's going to happen. And it did play a role in this uh, Ram ProMaster City uh, as well. And it had a dead battery when I got to it. So I had to put my jump pack on it. But once I did, and I verified the concern with this thing, holy cow, I can't believe the amount of line pressure that this thing must have. And actually, it's a common thing with another vehicle that we're going to talk about later, but the engagement into gear, I'm surprised something doesn't break how harshly 
that thing grabs into reverse or drive wherever you put the shifter first. Um, yeah, they, they were not kidding about this. This was a severe engagement. It's like somebody hits you while you were in the vehicle. It shakes so bad. Um, so obviously that's an issue and this is a transmission shop and they're trying to repair that. So there's a uh, Christmas light, uh, full worth of lights on the dashboard on the instrument cluster so let's scan this thing and see what the codes are and hopefully those are going to lead us to what we need to know so i'll give you the code numbers i'm not going to list the names off of each individual code i'm going to give you the common theme uh, but you can look these up if you uh, would like to do so um, the codes that were relevant to the problem here once i scan this thing was a b one zero a a a c one two 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 a p zero six ten a p fifteen hundred so four different codes so again i'm not going to list the names off for all of those but here's what they had in common um everything had to do something with a vehicle configuration mismatch and they said various things in various modules but they all had a common thing theme about the configuration of the vehicle or some sort of mismatching uh, configuration. Now, the shop didn't say anything about the replacement of parts. You could get something like this in a Chrysler if you were to replace a module and it wasn't programmed properly or it was out of a used vehicle or something like that. You can get some configuration codes. Uh, we see this a lot when modules are swapped around, but they didn't say anything about that. doesn't mean that it hasn't been done. But the first thing to try here, especially on a newer Chrysler like this, um, they have a service function called a proxy alignment. And really what I equate this to is relearning the vehicle configuration across all the modules. Well, maybe not all the modules, but all the pertinent modules to what we're talking about. Um, you go through and it is going to reestablish the configuration between each module on the vehicle. In this case, we're talking about the transfer or I'm sorry, the transmission control module, uh, engine control module, BCM, ABS, things like that. Um, those are the ones that are in the list. And of course, there's some others as well. And I was using the YTEC tool to do this. Um, I was doing some reading and it looks like the function is at least available with an Autel scan tool. I can't say that I've tried that though. So maybe I will in the future just to see if it worked. But here's what I know. I was using the YTech um, and the Micropod, uh, just factory tools for this vehicle in order to perform this process. And the nice thing here is once you get you got to buy the, you know, two different subscriptions to have the YTAC license and the tech authority in order to do this. But once you have that, it's just a few clicks of a button to do this proxy alignment. And it is going to run through and reconfigure everything, including the uh, transmission control module. And after I did that, it got rid of all those codes. And then as soon as I put it into gear, uh, it was a normal engagement. We took it for a drive, went through all the gears, didn't set any codes. Okay. Now, how did this happen? Because there weren't any parts that were replaced. It had to do with the dead battery. Okay. The battery had died and it had lost its configuration. Kind of similar to that Subaru where it lost some memory. And so, you know, this applies to a lot of other vehicles and areas of the vehicle uh, that we're going to be seeing for a long time to come with these newer vehicles is that a battery dying actually causes 
quite a bit of problems with the vehicle, right? Uh, quite a bit of issues that you go back maybe 10, 15 years, you wouldn't have seen any of these issues. Disconnecting battery wasn't that big of a deal on most stuff. You lose them presets, some memory functions, maybe some engine uh, learned adaptive data or something like that. But now we're actually getting pretty much disabled vehicles when we get a battery disconnection. And I, I've heard of a lot of other things and seen a lot of other things uh, from batteries getting disconnected. So I guess where I'm going with that is we need to consider as technicians before we just disconnect a battery that maybe there's some things that uh, might be a problem after the fact, after we reconnect that, that we've got to be able to work through. And I mean, if you got the scan tool equipment, it's not a big deal to do that, um, but at least be aware of it. But anyways, the battery was junk in this particular RAM. So I told the shop, replace the battery. I was like, yeah, when you disconnect it, use a battery saver maybe to prevent this from happening. Uh, you know, if it does lose its configuration again, then uh, we can I can shoot back out and make this happen. But I never heard back from them, so that must have been successful. But anyways, all those codes were gone and the transmission went back to normal operation just from a loss of configuration. So pretty interesting on that one. Again, I couldn't believe how hard that thing engaged into gear when it was just in a default mode. All right, our third vehicle is going to be 2010 Hyundai Sonata with a 2.4 liter. This one had a check engine light on with a P0880. Uh, this code is we're at is a TCM power signal error open slash short. Okay, um, I read up on the code details here, and this points me towards an ATM relay. And this thing would not shift correctly. I think it was stuck in i want to say third gear well, it was stuck in a higher gear like a default strategy and this one kind of shifted hard too actually the line pressure always seems to go to maximum when these things are in their default mode but anyways um the code details for this tcm power signal error points me to the atm relay which is in the underhood fuse box and basically this is just a relay that supplies power on two wires to the PCM. So powertrain control module controls both the transmission and engine operation. And this particular relay is going to supply power into the PCM, okay, on a couple wires. And I'm guessing, uh, I didn't really go into the details, but the PCM is probably going to use that power in order to operate some solenoids and components on the transmission. And that would be my guess anyways. But the computer had flagged a code for this circuit for this relay. And that's that P0880. The code would come right back as soon as you start the vehicle. And I found there was actually a data PID in the scan tool, in the PCM, that you could see the voltage on these two circuits, or at least what the PCM measured. And it read like 3.1 volts, which obviously was not the case because this battery was fully charged in this vehicle. Um, you know, should be 12 something with the key on and 14 while it's running. And I never got any higher than three volts on here. So now my next determination is, is that what's actually present on the circuit or is the PCM having issues monitoring, you know, what it can see. And so luckily, well, at least I thought, luckily, this circuit should be pretty easy. I, f I didn't even look up the diagram at this point. I just found the relay. I looked at the location under the hood. I found my ATM relay. 
And you know, all relays are the same. It's got two pins for control for the coil to create the magnetic field. And then it's got two pins, uh, which are going to be the load side. And in this case, based on what I read from the code, and again, I hadn't even looked at a diagram yet, but I should have power coming in on one side. And then once the relay is activated, it should supply power on these uh, two wires to the PCM. Okay. So I find my relay. I swapped it because it matched up with several other relays in the same fuse box, which is right by the battery on the left front under the hood. And same thing. Um, I could put my finger on the relay, you know, plug it in, unplug it. It didn't click. Okay. So what I did then was I just took a jumper wire and did the job of the relay. Okay. So I go across the load side. So basically I'm sending power straight to the PCM doing the job of the relay. And I watch on my scan tool. I see the voltage jump up. I clear the code. Code goes away. Okay. So what I know is the power into that relay for the load side is good. The circuitry to the PCM is good and the PCM can see that voltage and goes into normal operation. So uh, why is this relay not activating? Now I had swapped it and I don't hear it clicking. So I'm guessing it's on the control side of this relay. So Here's where this gets interesting. And I took my test light and I checked on the control side. So you should have power and ground to this little coil of wire so it activates and closes the relay. And I had a ground on one pin and I had nothing on the other. Okay. Obviously, if the one side's ground, the other side should be a power source. So now I need to get my diagram and figure out where does this power come from to activate this relay. Okay. This should be simple enough, right? Well, this is where this one got a little interesting and kind of why I wanted to talk about it on the podcast, because if it wasn't for this, it really wouldn't have been that interesting of a diagnosis. But in case you run into this, I want you to be aware of what's actually happening because the diagram, and I'm talking factory Hyundai diagram, and the redrawn was the same, checked in Mitchell's same thing, uh, just redrawn, but they, they redrew it exactly as the factory diagram presented it. In the factory diagram, because I want to see, you know, who's involved in controlling this relay. Where does that power I'm missing come from in order to activate this relay? Well, in the diagram, it shows you the relay. It says ATM relay. And in the diagram, I'll, I'll put a picture of this in the Facebook group. If you want to pause and take a look at that, it'll be in the comments for this episode release in the Facebook group. But you see the relay, you see the coil of wire for the control side, and then you see the switching portion of the relay on the load side. And you see the the power being fed into that load side, okay? And I did have power there. I knew that because I jumped it and it was all good. It shows that relay is in a normally closed position, okay? Meaning that the two contact points in this relay in diagram show as closed, which I'm not used to seeing. Most relays will show them in the open position and it will have the control side obviously to change that. But this shows it as closed and it labels the relay as a shunt, okay, which is basically um, just a path for current <laughs> to pass through. And on the control side, which I'm interested to know who are the players involved, who's controlling this relay, it has the two wires going off of the little coil from the relay, and it says not used. Okay, so this is very confusing. To me, this looks like 
there's nothing on the control side of this relay, and it should always be in the closed position providing power on this circuit, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because why have a relay then if it's always closed? And if it is a relay, you know, a normal relay like we're used to, it would have to have something on the control side. So the first thing I want to make sure is like, is this supposed to be something different than a relay? Is it supposed to be some uh, component that plugs into a relay slot, but is always closed? And from what I could tell from the service information and part information, it is supposed to be a relay. And the same as the other relays, which are right next to it for the horn and the AC and all that stuff. And that being the case, it has to have a power and ground on the control side to activate it. Otherwise, it's going to be in the normally open spot. That's how a relay functions. So we create that magnetic field and close that contact point, it's open. Okay, and I did have a ground on one side. And again, I'm just missing my power, but where does it come from? It says not used on the diagram. So I actually messaged Brandon Dills, and he used to work for I think it was either Kia or Hyundai. I, I don't remember which, but I had remember that he did work at a dealership there for a while. So I messaged him. I'm like, what's the deal with this? What, what, are, what are they trying to say here as far as not used on the control side? Because if I don't know where this goes, I can't really test anything or confirm anything. And he basically just told me he wasn't really familiar with that particular application, but that some of those Hyundai Kia wiring diagrams, even from the factory, just kind of suck. And so uh, you'll have to, you know, kind of work your way through it in order to figure out what's wrong. So what I decided to do next was to pull up this fuse box. Okay. And this is a fuse box again by the battery. It's got the relay um, spot in it. And there's three big connectors on the bottom side of this fuse box that go into multiple harnesses. What I want to find is this pin that I need power on, but don't have. I want to see, is there a pin exiting the fuse box that goes to some other circuit and maybe I can figure out where this power source is coming from. Because I imagine it probably has to be some sort of switched power source, right? Because they can't have this relay on all the time. It would kill the battery. So there's got to be some sort of switched power source when the ignition's on. And so what I did was I connected my ohm meter to the control side of the relay, the pin that the relay plugs into. And I took my other end of my ohm meter just flip the fuse box upside down. It's unplugged. And I just dragged it across all the pins on the bottom of the fuse box. And all I'm listening for is that little beep because um, I'm on a continuity setting for my ohm check. And I do find it. I find a pin that ohms out to that control side of that relay, the actual power source for the coil. Okay, cool. So now I find this pin and I match it up to the connector underneath and there's nothing there. There's no pin. There's no wire. It is em it's an empty cavity. Okay. And it's not like somebody had been messing around with this or pulled a pin or anything like that. There just was nothing occupying that spot. So what does this mean to me? This means to me that, uh, you know, based off the diagram it says not used, doesn't go anywhere. And it is a relay that needs to be switched on and off. This means to me that inside that fuse box, that it's going to uh, control this. And uh, Brandon had something, said something similar to that, that it's probably going to be you know, some sort of control in the fuse box. So I had enough confidence at this point. I told the shop, get a fuse box for this thing. Let's plug it in and see what happens. I told him, I was like, I'm like 95% confident, but the diagram's a little 
misleading. So just get this fuse box and we'll see what happens. Well, they ordered it up, plugged it in, fixed the problem. Code went away immediately. Relay clicked. Power's going to the PCM. We're all good to go. So um, that was a fix for that one is replacing the fuse box. Um, again, nothing crazy special there, but I just wanted everyone to be aware. If you look at the diagram for one of these things, the O10 Sonata, it shows this relay always closed and the control side not used. Well, it is used, but it's switched internally inside of the fuse box. And it's something that's just not present on the diagram. So um, that one was a little challenging just because of the limited information that I had uh, with that diagram. All right. The final vehicle for today is going to be a 2013 Ford Fusion with 2.0 liter turbo. For this vehicle, I was actually called into the shop to change or update the solenoid ID and strategy in the PCM. Okay. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of explanation here on what I'm talking about in case you're not familiar. Um, one of the earliest Fords I think I remember seeing this on was an 08 or an 09, and it's everything since. I mean, you get up into 2010 or so, and it's really every uh, Ford transmission. I'm sure there's exceptions to that, but most Ford transmissions, when you replace uh, the valve body um, or the entire transmission, there's no module inside of there. It's all done with the powertrain control module, but our powertrain control module is going to have some numbers that are stored within it. And these are the solenoid body ID and strategy. And it's a series of numbers, depends on the model uh, for what the length of the numbers is. This one was a 13 digit number and a seven digit number. And what this corresponds to is the unique values of the particular solenoid body that is in that transmission or on that transmission. And in order for the computer to shift gears properly, to operate properly, it needs the correct strategy pro actually programmed into it in order to do this. And if you don't update it, you can run into a lot of problems with the transmission operation. You may not even get any codes from this, because um, I know shops that have done this without updating them. They didn't have codes from it, but they end up with some weird shifting issues. So anyways, how do you find this number? Well, there's one of two ways. Uh, one, hopefully the easiest way, there's a tag, a white tag, either on the top or the side of the transmission with these two numbers. And it lays it out pretty clearly, solenoid body and or solenoid body ID and strategy number. And they're right there. So you get those numbers and then I'll tell you how to punch them in just a moment. But the other place, if it's not on that tag, maybe that tag got, you know, scra scraped off and you can't see the numbers. Um, maybe somebody had taken the tag off. It's a remand and they just didn't put a tag on there. The other place that you can find these, and this is the only other way to find it, is actually on the valve, or not the valve body, the solenoid body itself, which means you got to pull the cover or the pan depending on the application, off in order to find this. And it's etched into the actual solenoid body. Okay. So this is obviously a little bit more work. So educate your customers that you need this number if you're going to come program. And if that tag's not on that transmission, you better get me that number. Otherwise you're going to be dropping the pan or pulling the cover again to get me that, that number. Cause you can't do it without it. You can't guess at this 13 digit. It's just not going to happen. Um, 
Anyways, once you have that number, um, you go into uh, its transmission functions. I, I do this through the IDS, and I'm actually not aware if any other tool can do this, and I'll explain why as I go here. But I go into the transmission service functions, and it's transmission characterization, um, IDN, which I think is just ID number. You go in here and it asks you, okay, do you want to update these numbers? Sure. And it's going to pull the current numbers. Okay. And so what you can do is you, you can look and see, okay, do those current numbers match what's on this transmission? Maybe you're trying to diagnose a problem. In this case, they said, we changed out the transmission. Here's the numbers. Okay. So this was pretty straightforward. Um, and I do this a lot for a lot of shops. So they're trained pretty well to get me those numbers, just have them written down. Uh, sometimes they'll mix up an eight and a B or uh, something like that. So you got to work through that. It won't let you, uh, if you're a couple digits off, it'll say invalid number. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a way to mess it up, but it usually lets you know if you get a digit wrong. Anyways, uh, all you're doing is typing in these numbers. Now, the reason why I feel like, and I could be wrong here, definitely, but the reason I feel like the IDS is the tool to use here is because even if you have those numbers and you punch those in, IDS still pulls data from the Ford server and actually tells you that it's doing that during this process. It'll say data not found on this tester, which means I don't have it on the computer. I haven't downloaded it yet. Would you like to look on the network? So you got to be connected to the internet and then it pulls it from the Ford server. Okay. So I don't know that there's another tool that could necessarily do that. Maybe Forescan. I haven't tried it. I haven't tried it with any other tool. And I'm guessing that's why I get called in to do these. Um, you know, I've got the factory tool, so that's just what I use. But anyways, the IDS is very reasonably priced. If you do a lot of Fords, just get one. Super, super easy. Uh, well, I shouldn't say easy to use. They've been having issues lately. But this process is very, very simple. And uh, you can charge plenty for it. Anyways, back to what's going on with this car. I punch those numbers in, okay? I find the numbers, match them, pulls the data, programs it. Awesome. So after I do that, I'll do a full code scan and make sure that everything's good with the transmission. Well, in this case, there was a transmission code, and it was a P0657, okay? And this was actually there beforehand, too. I did a pre-scan, and it was in there as well, Um and it was there after, and I cleared out the codes, and it was still there. Okay, so this is something that came back immediately as soon as the engine was running. And this vehicle as well, and I had talked to the shop owner, and they had experienced this as, as well. When you put this thing into gear, it's also in a default mode, just like that uh, Ram ProMaster City that I was talking about. And holy crap, I'm, t I'm telling you again, I know I went through this already once, but the amount of line pressure in these things and when they're in a default strategy is crazy. It slams the freaking car when you put it into reverse or drive. And I just seem to be noticing this more and more often where it, this was not the case years ago, but God, I mean, there's just got to be stuff that breaks if a customer's driving around with that. And it's an impressive amount of line pressure. But anyways, kind of repeating myself there, but same thing I noticed in this vehicle as well. And we're setting this P0657. I talked to the shop. They said, yeah, this is kind of what we were after originally um, as far as rebuilding or replacing the transmission, whatever they did. And we're still having this issue. Okay. And of course, they called me to update the solenoid um, ID, hoping that that would remedy the situation. And of course, it didn't. So now they want me to diagnose what's wrong. Okay. 
So I'll shift gears here from programming to diagnostics. I do that a lot. Um, So let's figure out what's actually going on with this. So first thing, let's understand what the code means. Um, This is P0657, which is actuator supply voltage A circuit open. And in the description of the code, it says power to all solenoids has been interrupted. So I'm going to pull up a diagram here quick and just see how is this transmission, um, how are the transmission controls and solenoids set up? Because it says all solenoids, power to all solenoids has been interrupted. So what does that mean? And a diagram is going to help me understand how this works and, and help me understand what circuit am I going after? My actuator supply voltage A, what does that actually mean? So I find in the diagram that there's a series of solenoids, uh, six or seven of them in the transmission and they all do various things with shifting torque converter all this other stuff and they all receive positive you know b plus battery voltage from the pcm on one wire this is a brown wire we'll be dealing with that circuit so brown wire from the pcm feeds power side to all of these solenoids. Think about a fuel injector, right? We get power into all the fuel injectors from one circuit, and then uh, we're going to uh, have individual control wires on the other side. And same thing with these solenoids. So each solenoid has its own control wire for ground going back to the PCM, powertrain control module here is involved in doing this, and it will ground each one as it sees fit in order to operate the solenoids, but they all receive power from the same place. And that's what the code is for, is for this actuator supply voltage A, which is this brown wire supplying power to all solenoids. And of course, the description of the code says power to all solenoids was interrupted. So how does the PCM make that call to understand that this circuit is faulty? Is there an issue with it? I'm not sure yet, but we'll do some testing and see if we can figure out not only what the issue is, but what is a PCM recognizing as an issue? What's the strategy here? Um, And that's, I don't know, a lot of the time our goal as diagnosticians is try to figure out what is the computer strategy? What is it trying to figure out here? Or how is it perceiving the issue as an issue? So the first thing I did, because I'm connected with a scan tool, I like to do as much with a scan tool as I can before I'm actually out under the hood, is look at some data PIDs and see if there's anything that can help me. And what I find was for at least three or four of the solenoids, I was looking particularly at the shift solenoids, that I had a current draw uh, data PID. And I just want to see, is there any current going through these solenoids at any point? Okay, That, that would indicate to me either there is power or there is a complete circuit or there isn't. Now, when I had the key on, but the engine off on these solenoids, I was reading somewhere from 80 to 100 milliamps going through several of these solenoids. Not all of them, but several of them had current drop. And then when I'd start the vehicle, all of them would drop to zero. It'd be nothing. So I thought that was kind of interesting because key on engine off, there is some current draw, but probably not what I would expect to see from a transmission solenoid. Now, I don't know the resistance of these things. I don't know the current draw of these things just yet, but I think it should be more than 80 to 100 milliamps. I don't know, maybe not. Maybe this is a pulse width modulated situation. I don't really know. Is is the computer showing me an accurate number for what's going through these solenoids? I'm not sure yet, but it does drop to zero once the vehicle is started. Then there's no current at all. And of course, our code sets. So now we want to do some circuit checks, right? It's time now. The scan tool data pids don't really point me in a direction that I need to go. I'm just going to go to the circuit and I'm going to 
particularly zero in on my brown wire, which supplies power from the PCM internal to the transmission. And it's just a plug-in on the front of the transmission, and this brown wire sends power in to all of our solenoids that operate. So I unplug the connector for that transmission. And I'm using a test light here, and I got the test light connected to ground. I have the key in the on position, and I measure and I have power there. Lights up my test light. That test light pulls about 300 milliamps or so, um, but it lights it brightly. Cool. I start the vehicle, engine running, power is gone off of that circuit. Now, remember, I've got it disconnected at this point, but um, the power goes away and it kind of follows what I saw with my scan tool data pids, right? There was current draw in the, the key on engine off position and then no current um, to the solenoids running. And that kind of follows along with what's going on here is the power goes away. Now, why is it going away? Because this power comes from a driver inside of the PCM, turns off, turns on and off power to this circuit. And I have it keyed up, but I don't have it running. Is this where the fault is? The fact that there's no power on here, is that the problem that I need to be chasing? Or is this something intentional by the PCM? We always got to remember that when we see uh, powers or grounds disappear. And, you know, I had a F-150 just recently with a really interesting ground circuit uh, for checking the transfer case, but we see this in all kinds of other things. Um, actually, I had a whole episode on intentional shutdown of circuits for various reasons that we can't just assume that the PCM or whatever module is going to continue trying to operate a circuit after it sees a fault. It might shut it down on purpose, and we don't want to replace the control module because uh, we think, okay, that's that's the problem. It's, it's just losing power in the circuit. It's There's something internal that's faulted. Well, that might be the strategy, and it might be the strategy here too, so I want to consider that, but obviously the power is going away. So none of those solenoids can operate. It's in a default mode and it's shifting <laughs> like crazy until the until something snaps in the transmission. I don't know. So what I decided to do here was I want to verify circuit integrity, um, not only of this um, power wire, which I've kind of already done. I mean, I tested with my test light. It's not a headlamp bulb. It's not, you know, four or five amps worth of current, but it lit my test light brightly. Um, I want to verify the entire circuit because maybe we're dealing with something inside of the PCM, right? Um, maybe we're, it's something behind the valve cover in this new transmission they put in, although they said they were after this issue to begin with as well. Um, maybe there's a circuit problem between the, the PCM. I, I'm guessing it really does have something to do with this power circuit though, because it's not setting a code for an individual solenoid. It's saying power was interrupted to all. Now, I want to take a second here and help everybody understand how is it making that call? How does it know, is this an interruption to one solenoid or an interruption to all solenoids? Well, think about the circuit and let's just take one solenoid because this is audio only and I'll try to make it as easy to understand as possible. Uh, if I had a diagram in front, we could show you how all of it works. But just picture one solenoid, right? Which is one transmission solenoid, and it's inside the transmission uh, behind the, the side cover. And that solenoid is fed power in on our brown wire from the PCM, sends power. And then there's another wire that comes out of that solenoid and goes back to the PCM. And when the PCM determines that it's time to activate that solenoid, it connects 
it to ground through another driver. So there's two drivers on each side, one that supplies power and one that supplies ground. Now the power should be there as soon as you turn the key on. As soon as you start the engine, it should have power all the time. And we found that it didn't once you started the engine. But on the ground side, that should only apply a ground when we want to activate that solenoid. And maybe that solenoid is to shift into third gear. So it may not always be on, but here's the deal. When it is not activating these solenoids, when it is basically an open circuit on the ground side, we should see battery voltage all the way to the PCM. So again, remember our one solenoid, power in on the brown wire, and then there's another wire that goes back to the PCM that provides ground. Well, on that ground providing wire, the control wire, there should be battery voltage all the way to the PCM if it's open circuit in the PCM. If it has not closed that driver, not connected it to ground, we see battery voltage there. So does the PCM. That's where I'm going with this. Is the PCM is expecting to see battery voltage there when it's not applying the circuit, when it's not connecting to ground. It has a monitoring circuit here. And it can see that on all the solenoids, right? It's looking at all of them. And so if it sees all the solenoids, okay, I'm missing battery power on my control wire on all of these, or maybe it just takes a certain amount of them. It sets this code for 657 saying that voltage was interrupted to all solenoids. That's in the description of the code, and that's what it's looking at. So going back to the car here, I'm thinking about how this code works and again, how the PCM is perceiving the problem. Um, it's obviously capable of applying power on that circuit, but what's going on with the circuit, okay? So how am I going to test this? So what I did was I plugged back in the transmission, so the connector on the front. So now all the solenoids are connected to the circuit uh, the way I would want them to be. And I unplug the PCM connector that has all of these wires. And they're actually conveniently located all on one connector. It's the top connector on the PCM on this one. And what I decided to do was to activate each solenoid independently from one another. And so the PCM's out of the picture here. I got the key off and I take some jumper leads and I apply power on the brown wire to refuse jumper wire from the battery. And I'm going to activate each solenoid with a ground on their control circuits. So basically I'm being the PCM here and I want to see, do the solenoids work? Is the circuit complete here. So I'm just applying power and ground. And I first tried with a test light just because I want to be, I want to be safe. Not that there's anything wrong with applying power, direct power and ground with these solenoids. That's what the PCM does. But um, just in case I want to go with a test light first. So I grounded my test light and I tried all these circuits. I didn't have any activation. I didn't hear any solenoids clicking, nothing like that. So I was like, okay, let's go full, full ground here. Let's just apply a ground to all these. And I'm listening and I apply a ground to all of these circuits and I've got no click. I've got nothing happening. Okay. So what, what's going on here? Is there like an open somewhere? Um, I grabbed my ohm meter and I realized thinking back on this, probably not the most effective test here, but it did lead me to where I needed to go. I grabbed an ohm meter and I just wanted to ohm between the power circuit, that brown wire at the PCM and the control wire. So I'm just checking that whole loop. What is the resistance here? Is this a complete open? Um, do we have resistance somewhere that we don't want? And I measured 
400 ohms. And I measured 400 ohms on multiple solenoids. I checked a couple different control wires. I'm like, well, that's, that's way too high. I don't know what the resistance should be for this particular application, but it ain't 400 ohms. There's no way uh, that's too high. So I've got some resistance here. So where could this be? And now why is it on multiple solenoids, right? It can't be a control wire. That wouldn't make any sense because you'd only have that for one solenoid. I've still got to be dealing with my, my power wire. I had checked for power at the transmission connector, the point where it goes into the transmission. And I can't get any further than that without pulling the cover, right? And, and maybe that's where my problem is. Um, so I go back, I verify again, okay, my wire is good between the PCM connector and the transmission. And this time I did use a headlight bulb and I verified I could send power in at the PCM connector and I could light a headlight bulb at the other end at the transmission. So this thing can carry some current. So that 400 ohms that I'm measuring with my ohm meter, it's not there. It must be in the transmission, right? That's the only other place. I got to tell them to pull the pan and check the harness in there. But here's the one other thing before you call a module, before you t tell somebody to drop a transmission or pull the pan. Um, and I, I have a whole episode on this and I make sure to remind myself and my students of this all the time. Make sure to check pin fitment. Okay. I pulled this connector up because it was kind of down by the transmission. So I unhooked some of the clips that had the harness in place. And I pull this connector up where I can really get a good look at this thing. And I find my, my pin that has, that is connected to that brown power wire. And I see that this thing is opened up significantly more than the other female pins on this connector. Cause I'm looking at the female side and I grab my lead kit from AES wave and I find the pin that matches up to this transmission and I drag it through all of these and there is almost no resistance on this power wire. Okay. This was a pin fitment issue with this connector. Okay. So I take my little pick, I bend the pin in on this one, make it so it has nice drag, reconnect it. Code is gone. Thing shifts perfectly fine and we're good to go. That's all this was, was the power source, which I measure with my test light just fine because my test light wasn't, you just needed to make contact with the metal. It wasn't a pin that was going into this female connector and it measured fine, but it was never making its way into the transmission the way that it should. And maybe a little bit, cause I saw a little bit of that current draw on the scan tool, but too much resistance and the PCM wasn't seeing what it expected to see. Let's shut the whole thing down. Default mode, slam that transmission into gear, max line pressure, set this code until it's fixed. But the interesting part again was that it had power key on engine off running that changed. That's when it shut off that circuit because it saw a problem and it was up to us to identify where it was. And that's, we found that was a pin fitment issue on that brown wire at the transmission. So that's it for the case studies today and my transmission diagnostics that I've been doing recently. Hopefully you found some of that information helpful and useful. But other than that, let's get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time.